0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: I'm very high in antioxidants, anthocyanins, all the healthy stuff that's you know good for what they say preventing cancer and heart disease and, and all that kind of stuff. So and we can grow it right here in Iowa.
0: Good afternoon, listeners. It's Ashton Carr here with Delaney Howell and Mike Pearson. Guys, how's it going today?
2: Not too bad at all, Ashton. I tell you what, it is a sunny day here in east-central Iowa, but it is a windy day, and there are starting to see some concerns develop that uh, this hot weather that has been sort of located over the western half of the Corn Belt could start to move east, and I think we're starting to see that play out in the market a little bit, so we'll get to that in just a second, but... uh, Delaney, what are you watching today?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point to make, too, because it was like for a while there, we weren't getting any hot weather and we needed it to get the corn crop kind of germinating, and popping. Now we're getting a lot of hot weather and it's at that point in point of time in the year where it's kind of make or break for the crop.
2: It certainly is an important time. We're setting the, uh, the number of rows around on our ears of corn right now. Some of those V6, V8 corn plants out there in the field and uh something we're gonna have to keep an eye
3: on mike do you know how many rows of rows around corn plants usually have
2: uh 12 14 or 16
3: yeah i think that's right it always has to be an even number though right yeah my dad tried to trick me about that one time
2: ah gotcha
3: just like a planter has to have an even number he's like did you know there's a 17 row planter and i said dad And I I didn't understand what he was talking about, and he's like, "I'm just kidding. There's no such thing as an odd numbered, unless you like custom design it yourself." Right. Thought he was being silly, Dale. Silly Dale. He thought he was being funny. Well, that's good.
2: Well, I tell you what, we've got news happening in agriculture, as always, Delaney. Other than the weather, what stories are you keeping an eye on?
3: Yes. Well, the weather is certainly a big one, but another story I'm watching, kind of as it happens, is some hearings going on out in washington dc today about the u.s china trade deal u.s trade representative robert lightheiser will be a witness in these hearings at both the house ways and means committee and the senate finance committee they're apparently feeling a lot of pressure in congress right now that perhaps they need to pull out of the u.s china trade deal or go back to the negotiating plate table, not plate. Um, Or, you know, what are they going to do to really hold China accountable? So that is going on right now in Washington, D.C. Ahead of this hearing, though, we saw about 190 different agricultural organizations and companies come together and write a 13-page letter to the White House saying that it's too soon to consider pulling out or pulling the plug on the phase one agreement. And they said you know we understand that China is perhaps not not at the pace we need them to be to meet phase one's goals but look at all the events going on look at the fact that China is actually coming to the table now to buy U.S. soybeans so they're just asking Congress not do anything rash and decide to renegotiate pull the plug etc.
2: Yeah, you know, and I've got to agree with those ag companies. You know, we spent a year going through this trade war that I thought was stupid from the start, but it killed American ag exports for a year. We're finally getting them back after losing a tremendous amount of ground to South America. You know, don't don't pull out of it now. You know, let's let's take what we got this year. I was reading about those uh, the House Ways and Means uh, Committee's hearings with Robert Lighthizer, and he gave an interesting statistic that uh, I hadn't heard yet, which is kind of the export discussions we've had on this podcast. But China so far has bought over a billion dollars worth of cotton alone, and they're Mm -hmm. not usually a major cotton importer. So I thought that was interesting.
3: Yeah, that is interesting. I thought China produces cotton.
2: They do, but probably not enough to meet all their demands, but they typically buy from Pakistan Mm -hmm. um, and, and I guess, India. But now, of course, they're in a, a literal shooting war with India on the border. So, you know, I'm guessing they're not too keen to make some purchases for them.
3: Yeah, I suppose you're uh, probably right there.
2: Yeah, well, Ashley, what are you keeping an eye on today?
3: Surprisingly,
0: I'm keeping an eye on a newsletter that my friend Sam, she's also an intern at National Sorghum Producers. So she sent me over this article about dexamethasone being used for covid-19 patients. So I don't know if you guys are familiar I don't know with what that, that is. Right?
3: I really got to be honest.
0: Okay, so we we use dex um growing up we used it in our hogs to do like uh if they had like a cold or okay. coughing stuff like that. It's just like a steroid antibiotic uh drug that we used in our operation. And so it kind of surprised me to hear this, but British researchers announced on Tuesday that DEX cut deaths by up to a third in coronavirus patients on ventilators and cut deaths by one fifth in patients on oxygen, according to a data trial run by scientists at Oxford University. So there's... No evidence that the drug helps mildly ill patients, but I guess those that are, you know, on ventilators or on oxygen that do have coronavirus a little bit harsher than those mildly ill patients, it helps um, those that need it the most, from my understanding.
2: Interesting. This could be really good news. We've seen great progress. Product, product dress, gosh, my brain is just slow today, with uh, Remdesivir as serving to help those wild cases spend less time in the hospital, if DEX can come in and help the uh, the tougher-to-beat cases by substantial margins, we might get this thing licked in some uh, reasonable capacity.
0: I sure you hope so.
2: Absolutely. Well, good. Good find there, Delaney Howell, although if you are also using uh, DEX in your livestock herd, man, maybe you want to stock up on it.
3: Did you just call Ashton Delaney?
2: Uh, Maybe. Like I said, my brain is not really working.
3: (laughs) Okay, well, whatever. I guess we're one in the same. I've I've actually been told, Ashton, that we have very similar voices, except yours has a southern accent and mine does not. I
0: have heard the same thing. Brent Carlson actually said that to me. So I guess we are one in the same.
3: No, Mm. no big deal, though. No big deal.
2: Well, I've got one more story. I want to take it back to China for just a little bit. Um, taking a look at their imports. So there was a scare earlier this morning in the meat markets because China had an outbreak of COVID at a port in Tianjin. And uh, they traced this outbreak, that they think. So, you know, some Chinese tracing, et cetera, all the usual caveats apply. But they claim that the outbreak was most likely caused by an import of salmon from the European Union. It probably came over on the cardboard or the whatever the salmon was packed in. And then uh, you know port worker got the virus, coughed on his neighbor, they got the virus, boom, you got an outbreak. So China has responded by saying they are going to inspect every shipment of imported meat coming into their country, and of course, this has not just Americans concerned, but we have Brazilians where COVID is spreading like crazy, Europeans where presumably the salmon came from. You know, if China is testing all of these packages, and we know that meat plants tend to have a higher concentration of, of COVID outbreaks than other places, this could lead to some import restrictions. Just as we're starting to see mm-hmm. China's economy take off again, and we're you know starting to ship the pork, at least from this country.
3: Yeah, so that's not great news.
2: No, no, it's not great news. It's one of those things that's probably going to take a little while to play out, really get a feel for how the Chinese uh, ministries of agriculture and economics and uh, import stuff are going to react. But, you know, let's just keep our fingers crossed that none of these enhanced tests show more COVID on Mm -hmm. the Chinese mainland.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Just one other piece of news as well, a follow-up to yesterday's discussion or story about the dicamba situation so as i mentioned yesterday the epa kind of had until today to file their response to a petitions allegations that they shouldn't be allowed to continue using the three dicamba herbicides they have defended their decision the epa came out today saying that They have taken every action and responsible step to avoid unregulated and inappropriate use of the existing stocks. So defending their position that if you have this dicamba chemical and pexipan, extendimats, etc., you are able to continue to use it. They also said that this petition that came out has no legal or factual basis and that they need it to be removed. So... I think now, um, again, I'm not an attorney, we need to have an attorney on that can talk about this a little bit more than what we can provide some clarity on. But they said that this action doesn't violate any of the um, vatic, vac, vacature, that's a hard word to pronounce. And I don't know what it means to be honest, but they said it, it doesn't restore registration. It just allows people to use what is already left in stock. So they're saying, hey, we're within our legal precipice because if you have it, you can use it. If you don't have it, you can't buy more. And the EPA said that's the way that they are governing Dicamba. Therefore, this petition is not legal. Okay.
2: Well, again, that fight is ongoing. I do have an update from Bayer about this very self same thing, Delaney. And uh, Bayer announced earlier today they were planning to spend about a billion dollars to build facilities to manufacture these modern chemistries of dicamba here in the United States. They're going to add jobs, and, you know, have chemical made here in this country. Well, as of this morning, they they are fully plugged plug on that program. They are not going to invest any money in manufacturing the, uh, the new chemistries of dicamba in America. They did come out and say that uh, his plan has, has it was not changed at all because of the ruling. And I think everybody kind of laughed when they said that. And uh, basically, so if you're going, if the EPA, or excuse me, the Ninth Circuit gets overturned by the Supreme Court or, or any future uh, jurisprudence, any of these new dicamba chemistries We'll have to come from overseas because they won't be making it here in this country at all.
3: I can't really say I'm surprised that they're moving away from Dicamba with all the wiggle. Well, and, and
2: they're, they're not moving away from it. It's still perfectly legal in, in most other countries. They're just not going to make it here because, you know, this market is for them gone now. So why make right. it here?
3: Well, right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying.
2: Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's what's happening there in response to this lawsuit. Well. Uh, not
3: in a Not lawsuit.
2: lawsuit, according to Bayer.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, I tell you what, do you have any other news for us here, uh, Ashton? I sure don't. Perfect. Well, let's jump into the markets before we have a conversation about an interesting market with today's guest. Taking a look at the grains we've got mixed trade today, that concern over the heat dome moving farther east helped Prices towards the end of the trading session in corn and soybeans, although wheat continued to sell off as the dollar found some more strength today. Looking at the corn market, July corn was up one and a quarter cents at three thirty and a quarter. December new crop. Unchanged on the day at 342 and three quarters. In soybeans, the July contract was up four and a quarter cents at 871 and a quarter. November up three and three quarters, closed the day at 876 and three quarters. In the wheat market, Chicago, July down seven and three quarters cents at 488 and a quarter. December down seven cents, closed the day at 502 and a half. Looking over at the world of livestock, despite That Chinese-caused scare early in the day. Live cattle and feeder cattle and hogs found a way to move higher. June live cattle, excuse me, August live cattle, up 7.5 cents at 96.85. The October contract, up 7.5 at 99.82 and a half. Feeder cattle, August, up 70 cents on the day at one thirty three fifty seven fifty. The September, up 50, closed the day at 134.95. And in lean hogs, the July contract was unchanged on the day at 49.65. Well, the August was up 15 cents to close the day at 53.17 and a half. Looking over at the dairy market, in class 3 milk the June contract was up 11 cents today at 20.75, the July up 37 cents getting very close to that $20 mark, closed the day at 19.79. Without further ado, we are going to talk to a voice that some of you might have heard on the Farm for Profit podcast. That's Mr. Corey Hillavo from Iowa.
3: Hey guys, in case you didn't know, when I'm not here hosting Ag News Daily, I'm helping out with the Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper, which has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in the state of Iowa. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals on the go with the stories that matter most. In this week's episode, we have Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Nag talking about state COVID-19 assistance for livestock farmers. We also have Chris Norton, a former college football player who experienced a paralyzing injury on the field and was once given a 3% chance of regaining movement below his neck. Well, Chris beat the odds to walk again, and his inspiring story has plenty of lessons, that we could all use right now. You can find and subscribe to the Spokesman Speaks podcast in your favorite podcast app, or go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. Well, today we are joined by another Twitterer at corn underscore pork and beans, also known as Corey Hillabo, who is a farmer in central Iowa. Corey, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's a pleasure to join you guys.
3: So Corey, tell us a little bit about your operation in central Iowa, because you do some pretty traditional conventional crops and livestock, but you also do some out of the box things too.
1: Yeah, we do a little bit of uh, everything, trying to make it, make everything work. We are a, I would say, medium-sized farm here in central Iowa, located between Des Moines and Ames. And uh, we farm your typical corn and soybeans, like most do around here. Um, we have a hog site that is wean to finish. We finish um, around 8,000 pigs a year. So, and that's pretty typical for Iowa as well. Um, I sell seed on the side that make ends meet as well, uh, Hogemeyer seed. And then also the interesting one or what most would find interesting that not everyone does is we, we do have some acres of Aronia berries.
2: So Corey, what are Aronia berries and how'd you get into them?
1: Well, I heard, I was working for pioneer back in like 2010 and I heard it on the big show. Um, Someone talking about aronia berries and I started researching it and all of a sudden I had a lot of sleepless nights of up researching on, on the old Google and uh, reading everything I could and then calling people and figuring it out. Um, aronia berries are the highest antioxidant berry in the world. Um, very high in antioxidants, anthocyanins, all the healthy stuff that's, you know, good for what they say preventing cancer and heart disease and and all that kind of stuff, So, and we can grow it right here in Iowa. So I thought, well, that's kind of cool, and um, they had a lot of lofty goals of big numbers being thrown around everywhere. Um, eventually, we we kind of came down to earth on that and then put a business plan together, and in 2014, fall of 2014, we planted 15 acres of veroni berries, and uh, I guess we've had our bumps along the way. A lot of bumps, but uh, we're down to around seven or eight berries now. We lost several acres in 2018 due to the floods. And then this year we dealt with some frost too. So we don't have hardly any berries out there, but we're still got berries. So they're there. They go, to, go into a lot of products, um, health products, smoothies, supplements, that kind of
3: stuff. So, Corey, what are aronia berries used for? You said proteins and shakes and stuff. I'm not super familiar with them. I'm sure we've ate foods that they're in. Yeah, but.
1: yeah. So, I mean, well, the one thing, I mean, they go back to like the Indians era. I mean, it was used for like dyes. It's a very heavy purple, dark purple, almost black um, color when you squeeze the berries and if you see them. Um, and actually, another um, characteristic of them is, is they, Kind of like a dry wine it's very tart a lot of people used to call them tart cherries or, or chokeberries um so you might have heard a lot of old-timers say you know chokeberry pie type stuff like that our products so um for real world example last year our our berries got shipped up to wisconsin and then a company called tohi t-o-h-i um out, i think they're out of kansas city and it's a large investment Uh, company, and they make a drink on Amazon that you can buy. Basically, an antioxidant water. So, I mean, you can go buy that today.
2: So, Corey, I mean, we've got, you know, Aronia Berries. We've always had these kind of products orbiting agriculture. These opportunities for folks who are interested in diversifying. And, you know, these niche products exist out there. In your experience, you mentioned you've gone from 15 to 7 or 8 acres. and you've seen a little bit of a reduction. But, has the diversification worked for you? I mean, has it, uh, now you're five years into it, have you noticed a little bit of a payoff? Is it worth the extra effort?
1: We, so we knew when we'd made our business plan that we wouldn't probably be breaking even on 15 acres for seven to eight years uh, just because it takes three to four years just to start get them established and get somewhat of a crop. We're not to uh, the genetic potential on these bushes yet. We should be getting 15 to 20 pounds per bush we planted around a thousand bushes per acre. Um, but I can tell you now, you know, last year, I think we were around two or three pounds per bush. Um, and some bushes were a lot better than others. It's just like farming in any aspect. You're not going to be perfect all across the board. Um, but no, we're still in the hole, I would say, but as far as learning, I mean, I would probably kick myself more for not trying it. Um, because I was, you know, really wanting to do more with what we had, um, expanding the farm around here with uh, the metro so close is just next to impossible. Between uh, speculators and investors and in, in land and the city growing, it, it's it's tough. So that it it's crucial that we can do more on our land that with what we have already.
0: So Corey, this has really piqued my interest because I'm really not familiar with any kind of berries. So what does the harvest process look like for these aronia berries on your farm?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll send you guys a link and you guys could probably post it somewhere. But uh, we have a neighbor that has a special harvester from Poland. I can't even pronounce the name. It starts with a W and it's really long and it doesn't sound like it looks at all. But uh Basically, it takes the plants, and so these bushes are similar to like a lilac bush. If you've ever seen a lilac okay. bush, they get about six to eight foot tall, um, probably about six feet wide as well. And they're kind of they come up. They don't have one central trunk. They have several shoots that come up. Um, and this uh, picker is pulled behind a tractor. Need like a 30 to 50 horsepower tractor. Grabs the bush, kind of tilts it over at a 45 degree angle to the ground, and has a bunch of fingers that go through and shake the berries off the bush, down onto a conveyor. They go onto another conveyor, and it's kind of like an old-time uh, ear corn picker where it's got a series of fans and things, and the berries drop and blows the tw- twigs and the leaves out down into either a 35-pound tote or um, like what I would call like a half of a pro box, like a 700-pound tote that you would move with like a forklift or a skid loader.
3: So, how did you ever go about, or how do you go about finding end markets or where you're selling these to? Are you selling them direct to consumers? Are you selling them to, I guess, processors that are turning them into shakes or whatever? Yeah. And and how do how are they priced too? Is it like per ton?
1: Yeah. So right now we're priced per pound. Um, We've sold locally um, through Craigslist and Facebook and that kind of stuff, but. It's just even some farmer's market type stuff. You just can't move the amount of volume that you need to. Um, the coolest one I've done, I, I, two of them actually, I, I shipped like 75 pounds out to Rhode Island to get made into uh, specialty gin. And then I've uh, actually sold some to No Coast Ale down in Southern, Southern Iowa. Um, they made an Aronia Berry beer. I sold them like 600 pounds. But I last year we had 9,000 some pounds um, that we picked. So we got to be able to move volumes. Um, I can say we got around 70 cents a pound last year. Not what we wanted. That's right around break even if you kind of figure everything. But we just need product to get into the marketplace because, you know, no one really knows about it.
2: Well, Corey, you have said something really interesting there, and I want to circle back to aronia berries, but we need product to get into the marketplace. You're not just seeing that on aronia berries. That was the story in the pork market earlier this year. We just couldn't get the product to the market, thanks to the hangups at slaughter plants. You being in the industry, weaned to finish, of course, you've confronted all aspects of that. What's your yep. take on how the industry is going right now? Has the pork industry turned the corner?
1: I feel like we have, I can say I have uh, 285 pound pigs right now and we are on pace marketing. Now the plant I sell into, uh, hasn't had that big of issues. I, you know, so I can't speak for the whole industry, but right here in central Iowa, uh, we're, we're clipping along pretty good. So I feel good about that. So we're, we're a custom finisher. So I, i have, I'm untied to the The prices and the marketing on on that kind of stuff and the strains that's going on there, I just hear it secondhand. Gotcha,
2: gotcha. I just did my my
1: part for lunch though. I just had some some pork burgers for lunch, (laughs) so I'm trying. Nice.
2: I had some pepperoni pizza. So together, Corey, we'll chew through this. (laughs) We'll get it. I tell you what. Now, now back to the aronia berries, Corey. When you're looking out to the future, you've got your seven eight acres. You're you're in within range of getting into your your business plan, coming back into profit a couple of years out. What's your thought? Would you add more berries to your acreage or would you just let things stand for a couple of years and, and see if this market can find more of a footing amongst consumers? Yeah.
1: So, so two or three years ago, I actually had bought a planter. I was going to grow my own plugs and plant my own bushes. And then things kind of turned negative. Uh, just things weren't moving in the marketplace. Last year was an up year for us. We found that new market, and they were paying in monthly installments. And then as soon as COVID hit, that stuff has uh, – they've quit payments. So right now, I, I hate to be negative about it, but I would just be at a standstill and kind of watch. I, I, I believe in the science behind the Aronia berries and the health aspects of it. There's theres no doubt about it. There's, there's actually a lot of university studies, um, and even over in Europe, studies about the stuff that um it's just bulletproof but we just we got to find someone that can you know grab it by the horns and, and get it into the marketplace and get it into a lot of different products
3: And Corey, as you look at, obviously you chose aronia berries to diversify your operation, but tell us about the process or you said you spent lots of time researching and spending time putting a plan together, but what advice do you have for farmers looking to diversify their operations? And is there anything that you did that you wish you would have done differently?
1: Only things I would have done differently was probably how I est- tried to establish the plants and I, I ended up hiring some people to help me do that. And then that put me into a time frame that I had to work on their schedule. And so we ended up working the ground really wet and, and we had plant 15,000 plants on site and it was going to frost in like six days in the, that fall. So we were forced to put them in. Um, so I would, <laughs> I would say, try to plan out the process a little bit better than that. It was kind of thrown together and, and forced. Um, but as far as, um, if you're looking to diversify anywhere, I mean, obviously do your research, but networking is the absolutely huge, hugest deal. Um, go to conferences, talk to others that have done it. Um, you never can talk to too many people and, and try to talk to people that have maybe a negative aspect of it and a positive because i mean there's all all ends of the spectrum that you can uh, pull opinions from so that, that that helped out
3: very cool well Corey, we we certainly appreciate you joining us today i'm excited i know you're not very far out of the des moines area i'm gonna have to come see the aronia berry harvest happen sometime
1: yeah it, i don't think we're going to harvest this year since we got frosted off but uh Definitely. Yeah, you can come pick what what berries are there. So the end end of August, early September, that's when they're normally picked.
3: Awesome. Well, I will look forward to that sometime. Corey, thanks so much for joining us.
1: All right. Thanks, guys.
2: All right, Corey. Well, best of luck to Corey with both the berries and the corn and the beans and the pigs that he's all growing there on his farm. I tell you what, folks, we talk about a lot of diverse agriculture here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. If you want to get caught up on past episodes of interesting people, hit up the website. Go to agnewsdaily.com. You can get in touch with both all of our archived episodes and connect with other podcasts on the Global Ag Network or always send us your suggestions for future stories on social media hit us up on facebook twitter and instagram just search for ag news daily and we'll be there with that ashton should we let the people go
0: let's let them go